Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salatu wa salam ala ashraf al-lambiya'i wal mursaleen wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Alhamdulillah, thank you guys for joining me again for uh, another discussion from our Ramadan series, The Life and Trial of Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. So we left off in the last lesson, uh, Imam Ahmed was uh, now put into shackles and being taken to the, uh, being taken to Al-Ma'mun, the leader of the Muslims during that time. And Imam Ahmed said that I was making dua that I never saw his face because it reached me that he said that if he ever saw me, that he would cut me to pieces. While Imam Ahmed was enchained, imprisoned, Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi, what he gathered in this book was different interactions that he had with people that he came in contact with along this journey, all right? And the different advice that was given to him by different people who came in contact with him, as well as uh, the different ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala conveyed his mercy to Imam Ahmed during this trial. As we mentioned before, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-Latif, Allah is gentle with his servants, that even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests us, he always cushions the blow of the test, all right? Even with the tests that come to us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, number one, he doesn't give us what is more than our capacity to bear. And even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only tests us with what we can handle, he still cushions the blow of the test. Abu Ja'far, he approached Imam Ahmed while he was in chains. This was from the pieces of advice that was given to him while he was shackled in prison, waiting to be questioned, waiting to be tested, waiting to be tortured. He came to Imam Ahmed and he said, Ya hadha, anta al-yawm ratsun, nas yaqtaduna bik. He said, Imam Ahmed, anta al-yawm ratsun, you are at the head of this issue today. And people are going to follow, follow you and emulate you. He's kind of reminding Imam Ahmed of the mas'uliyah, reminding him of the responsibility that rests on his shoulders as an imam, as a student of knowledge, as uh, a teacher, as, a, as a, uh, a scholar. You have such a huge responsibility before the people. And before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do you know that when you open up Instagram, you open up Facebook, you open up Zoom, and you have hundreds of thousands of people listening to you, watching you, both Muslim, non-Muslim. Do you realize how much of a mas'uliyah, how much of a responsibility that is? And that means that when you open your mouth, that you do your best to ensure that the information that you are disseminating is accurate. You do your best to make sure that your interaction and engagement with the people who are watching is that it's you know it's up to par up to standard up to islamic standards do you realize that when you go live you know it's it's more dangerous today than get in front of a a camera than it was years ago before there was instagram before there was social media and you know an imam would go to a masjid a, a masjid is only limited in in terms of its capacity you're limited as it relates to how many people could sit in a masjid in front of a sheikh or in front of an imam. 
But when you open up social media, you got people from all over the world that are tuned in, that are listening. That's a huge responsibility. So he says to Imam Ahmed while he is in jail, while he's in prison, waiting to be, you know, questioned, waiting to be tested. He said, until yom ratsun. You are at the head of this issue today. You are the top scholar today. And people are waiting for your word so they can follow what you're about, what you're going to say. What do you say about the Quran? Do you say the Quran is created? Do you say the Quran is not created? People are waiting to see what you are going to do. He said, For Wallahi la in ajabta ila had al kol bi khalpil Quran la yuji benna bi ijabatik khalkun min khalkilla. He said that if you agree to their ideology, their theology about the Quran, that the Quran is created, if you answer that, if you agree to that, there will be many people from the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who will follow you in that. in anta lam tujib. He said, but if you refuse to answer this, if you refuse to agree to this, then there will be many people who will refuse as well. It's all resting on your shoulders. That is a lot to carry. That is a lot to carry. To go from being just a scholar who teaches in his masjid or goes around teaching to now everybody waiting to see what you are going to do so they can follow you. That's, that's heavy, man. That is heavy. And I, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that Imam students and knowledge realize, you know, the 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 level of mas'uliyah that rests on their shoulders. So he said, if you answer them, if you agree to this, then there will be many people who will follow you in agreement. And if you refuse, then there will be many people who will refuse as well. He said, He said, and even if Ma'moon doesn't kill you, you're going to die anyway. <laughs> you're going to die anyway. This is some heavy advice that he's giving Imam Ahmed. This is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is Allah's way of making sure that the blow is cushioned. Without these pieces of advice, perhaps Imam Ahmed would have weakened in the face of you know, this particular trial. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, much like in the story of Yusuf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends Allah ta'if, he sends gentle reminders, gentle ways of making your trial easy for you. So the advice of this man, right? He says to Imam Ahmed, you are at the head of this issue today. You are at the head of this issue. If you answer them, if you agree with them, then there will be many people who will follow, who will follow you in that. He said, and if you refuse to agree with them, then there will be many people who will refuse because of your refusal. He said, and, and furthermore, furthermore, in lam yaqtulka rajul he said, and even if Ma'moon doesn't kill you, you're going to die anyway. There's no escaping death. You're going to die anyway. He says, so fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and don't answer them 
Don't respond to them. Don't agree to them in any of the things that they present to you. Don't agree with them. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَجَعَلَ أَحْمَدْ يَبْكِي وَيَقُولُ مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ Imam Ahmed start crying. Imam Ahmed starts crying. And he says, مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ Right? Because understand something. In times of, of confusion and fitna, everybody is just trying to escape the discomfort of the confusion and the trial, the fitna. Everybody's trying to escape. So you'll be hard pressed to find somebody who is going to give you advice that is kind of straight to the point. Colin Sadida. You'll be hard pressed to find somebody who's going to tell you exactly what you need to hear in that moment. People are going to tell you what you need to hear so that you can escape. As one man said to Imam Ahmed, doesn't Allah say in the Quran, La anfusakum? doesn't Allah say in the Quran, don't kill yourself? Why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you killing yourself? Just say the Quran is created and alleviate yourself from this trial. And Imam Ahmed said, all of these people waiting to hear what I have to say. Wallahi aqtul nafsi wala He said, Wallahi, I would kill myself first before I lead all of these people astray. I would kill myself first before I would misguide all of these people. You kidding me? Say the Quran is created just to escape the punishment, just to escape torture. This is my book. I live and I die for this book. This is my book. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Yahya, Ya Yahya, khud al kitaba bi kuwa. Oh, Yahya, take this book bi kuwa with strength. The Quran is not, it's not something easy that you can just, oh, I follow the Quran. Like we say that with, you know, from a place of privilege today because we haven't been tested with the Quran. We haven't been tested. We haven't been tested with this book. Our love for the Quran has not been tested. Imam Ahmed's love, you profess love for a thing, eventually your profession, right? Your, your proclamation of love for a thing is eventually going to be tested. You say you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you can't say you love Allah and that you're not going to be tested. You can't say you believe in Allah and you're not going to be tested. You can't say you believe in the Prophet sallallahu and you're not going to be tested. You can't say you love the Prophet sallallahu and you're not going to be tested. You can't say you love your spouse and your love for your spouse is not going to be tested. It's going to be tested with fidelity. It's going to be tested with trust. It's going to be tested with loyalty. All of those things is going to be tested. You can't say you love something and you're not going to be tested. Love is a verb, not a noun. Requires action. Love is a verb, not a noun. Requires action. And the greatest proof of love is sacrifice. The greatest proof that love exists is sacrifice. What sacrifices has the person made that says, I love you? What sacrifices has that person made to prove that they love you? What sacrifices have they made? If you sit back from a place of privilege and say, I love you, anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. So Imam Ahmed, he said to Abu Ja'far, he said, Ya Abu Ja'far, a'ad alayya ma qult. Faqala Abu Ja'far, fa'a'adadtu. Imam Ahmed said to Abu Ja'far, he said, Abu Ja'far, do me a favor. Say to me again what you just said to me. Say it again. 
I want my heart to be strengthened with your words. Say it again. You ever had somebody say something to you? You ever had somebody say something to you that was so profound and you say to them, yo, say that again? I, I need to hear that again. Say that again to me. Imam Ahmed said, Ya Abba Ja'far, Say it again to me. Let me hear that one more time. In another interaction that Imam Ahmed had, he was approached by he was approached by a Bedouin who walked up to Imam Ahmed and, and Imam Ahmed says as he's narrating this, he said, Wallahi, ma samirtu kalimatin kanad awqa' fi qalbi min kalimatin samirtu samirtuha min a'rabi fi rahbata tuq. Qala li ya Ahmed, in qatalaka al-haq muttu shahidan wa in ishta ishta hamidan. Imam Ahmed said, I never heard something that had more of an impact on my heart during this trial, during this period, like the words that I heard from this Bedouin. He walked up to me and he said, Ya Ahmed, Ya Ahmed, in al-haq, If the truth kills you, then you die as a martyr. We're in ishta hamida. And if you manage to live through this, then you will live in a praiseworthy manner. You will live in an honorable manner. You will live in a dignified manner. Imam Ahmed said, And my heart became strengthened with those words. I never heard any words that were more powerful than the words that I heard from that Bedouin. He said, If the truth kills you, if the truth gets you killed, then you die as a martyr. If the truth gets you killed, you die as a martyr. And if you live, if you manage to survive, then you will live in dignity. You will live honorably. And so Imam Ahmed, he's making dua that as he's being led to uh, Moon's palace, he's making dua that he doesn't meet him, right? He's making dua that he doesn't meet him. And as they reach the palace of Moon, uh, because the, the Muslims during that time, they were also going to war with uh, uh, the Romans, they were going to war with other people, and he never got a chance to even see Moon. Moon died even before Imam Ahmed uh, got a chance to meet him. And Imam Ahmed said, I praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because I thought that the fitna was over with. He said, but then his younger brother, whose name was Mu'tasim, these were both the children of Harun al-Rashid. All right. These were both the children of Harun al-Rashid. Ma'moon, Ibn Harun al-Rashid, and then his younger brother, who was Mu'tasim, who took the leadership after him. And Ma'moon did some shysty stuff because rather than giving the leadership to his son, uh, I believe Amir, uh, Amin, he gave it to his brother. His son was in line, his half-brother, Muratessim was his half-brother. Uh, rather than giving the kingship to, or the Khilafah to his, young, his son, uh, Amin, he gave it to his half-brother. So he slighted his son. And uh, Mu'atesim, his half-brother, actually ended up killing Mu'atesim, uh, Ma'moon's son. He actually killed his own nephew, all right, because they tried to stage a coup and was a fight for, you know, the, the throne, the fight for, you know, leadership 
Uh, it happens in every kingdom, happens all the time. Nonetheless, um, Imam Ahmed said that by the time we got to the palace of Me'moon, a caller called out that Me'moon had been killed, Me'moon died, um, and he said, I thought, I praise Allah, I said Alhamdulillah, because I was making dua the whole ride there that I didn't see him. I was making dua, and subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered his dua. And that is, the, that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers the dua of the oppressed person. Always keep that in mind, right? Imam Ahmed said, uh, in the dua he's making against Ma'moon, he said, Allahumma fa'in yakun al-Qur'an kalamuka ghayra makhlukin fakfina mu'natahu. Qala fa wallahi ma madha al-thurith al-awwal min al-layl illa wa nahnu bisayhatin. وجاء الحضاري وقد أقبل علينا وقال صدقت يا أبا عبد الله القرآن كلام الله غير مخلوق مات والله أمير المؤمنين يعني مأمون فقال إمام أحمد فحمدت الله إمام أحمد said I made dua I said oh Allah if your book the Quran is your speech and it is not created then suffice me suffice me that I don't have to you know you know, sacrifice myself to prove that. Suffice me, meaning take the life of Me'moon. He said, Wallahi, a portion of the, uh, one third of the night did not pass by, except that a caller called out and he came to me and he said, Oh, Abu Abdullah, you are right. The Quran is the speech of Allah and is not created. Me'moon just died. Wallahi, he just died. Imam Ahmed, praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thank the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving him that, 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 that moment of peace. He said, but lo and behold, his brother took the kingdom after him or took the reins after him, Mu'tasim. And my, uh, my situation just got even more depressing. It got even more depressing. So Imam Ahmed, uh, he's being brought back now to Raqqa where Mu'tasim is now the leader of the Muslims. So Ma'moon is dead. Mu'tasim, he takes the, the leadership after Ma'moon. And Mu'tasim is being backed by a man by the name of Ibn Abi Du'ad. Ibn Abi Du'ad. Ibn Abi Du'ad was Ratz al-Jahmiyyah. He was from the leader, he was from the scholars of the Jahmiyyah who also held many of the beliefs of the Mu'tazila. Uh, regarding the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All right, they rejected many of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, rejected many of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like Allah speaking. They said that Allah never spoke to Musa, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never took Ibrahim as a khalil, as a friend, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not know what is going to happen until after it happens. They denied that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has any knowledge, al-ilm al-sabiq, that Allah does not have any previous knowledge, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge does have a limit, that Allah does not know what is going to happen until after it happened. They also said that Allah, that, that, uh, that man has free will, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot control man's destiny, man controls his own destiny. These were many of the beliefs of the Jahmiyyah as well as the Mu'tazila. Some of their beliefs overlapped, some of their beliefs, you know, went in opposite directions. But Ibn Abi Du'ad, he was behind Mu'tasim. And this is why it's always important to make sure that in, when you reach a leadership position, that you are aware of your cabinet. Your bitana. Your bitana is your cabinet, the people that you are surrounded by. 
All right, because as the Prophet said, that a man is on the religion of his close friend. Look at those whom you take as intimate friends. The scholars say that if you want to know a man, you need to look no further than the people he surrounds himself with. If you want to know a man, you need to look no further than the people that he surrounds himself with. And this is especially true when you reach a position of leader leadership. When you, Before you're in a position of leadership, anybody can tell you anything. But once you reach a level of a position of authority, everybody wants to be close to you. Everybody wants to be in your circle. Everybody wants to be in your space for different reasons, for different reasons. And unfortunately, Muratesim, you know, opened that door and he now is surrounded by the Mu'tazila, the Jahmiya, these people with these uh, ideologies, subhanAllah, pushing him, pushing the Imla, pushing their agenda, all right? Because this is what usually happens to the person that is in the position of authority. The people behind him are usually the ones that are controlling, controlling the narrative. He's just the mouthpiece. He's just the mouthpiece. He has the influence. He has the position, and so they use him like these big packs when it comes to the, uh, you know, the American presidency, right? Especially the the people, you know, these big packs. You got, you know, your WalMarts. You got your, you know, all of these big names, these big companies, these big packs, super packs, where these are organizations, companies that make the the they become the biggest donors for the presidents in their, you know, during their presidential races. And of course, they have the leverage of influence, but they're using the president as the mouthpiece. So you always have to be mindful of the people that you keep around you, man. So Ibn Abi Du'ad, he wanted to kill Imam Ahmed to be done with it. Just kill him and be done with this. So he says to Mu'tasim, he said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, idrab unukahu wa damahu fi raqabati. He said, kill him. Cut his throat and I'll take responsibility for his blood. Kill Imam Ahmed. Slit his throat and I'll take responsibility for his blood. Fakalahu ibn Abi Duad, La Ya Amiru. So someone said this to um they someone said this to Mu'tasim. Kill Imam Ahmed and I'll take responsibility for his blood. Ibn Abi Duad, he said to Mu'tasim, he said, La, la taf'an, don't kill him. He said, فَإِنَّهُ إِنْ قُتِلَ أَوْ مَاتَ فِي دَارِكْ قَالَ النَّاسِ صَبْرَ حَتَّى قُتِلْ فَاتَّخَذَهُ النَّاسِ إِمَامًا وَالثَّبَتُوا عَلَى مَا هُمْ عَلِينَ He said, no, don't kill Imam Ahmed. Don't kill him. He said, because if you kill him while he's here in your, in your palace, if you kill him, he said, then people will say, oh, he was patient until he was killed, and they will take him as a martyr, they will take him as an imam, and they will remain on what they are upon that the Quran is not. Don't kill him. He said, lakin sa'atin. He said, but no, let him go for a short period of time. Give him a window out in the world. Let him go. And if he dies outside of your palace, then people will be in doubt as like, as, as it relates to what happened to him. Some people will say that he answered. He said that the Quran is created. Some people will say that he didn't answer. He didn't say that the Quran was created. And people will be total confusion as it relates to what his affair was. 
And that's the end goal of misguidance. That is the end goal of innovation. That is the end goal of bid'ah is total confusion, to confuse you. Anytime you find somebody that is propagating and promoting and, you know, a, a message of Islam that is not totally clear, doesn't really make sense, it's a lot of confusion, a lot of red tape, a lot of yellow tape around it, then you know that the end goal of that is not right guidance. The end goal is for you to be confused to eventually leave Islam. The end goal is for you to leave Islam, for you to be in so much doubt and confusion about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and about his religion that you leave Islam altogether. That is not Islam. He said, no, don't kill him. Torture him and then let him go. Let him go for a little bit. And then see, you know, and if he dies outside of your palace, then people will be in doubt as to what really happened. And meaning we will still be able to control the narrative. We will still be able to control the narrative. Okay, so as you know that Imam Ahmed was the only people that was left with Imam Ahmed from the scholars who did not respond to the statement that the Quran has created was Muhammad ibn Nur. Muhammad ibn Nur. However, even Muhammad ibn Nur, he eventually responded and he eventually died leaving Imam Ahmed by himself. Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, مَا رَأَيْتُ أَحَدٍ عَلَى حَدَاثَةِ سِنِّهِ أَقْوَمْ بِأَمْرِ اللَّهِ مِنْ Muhammad ibn Nur. وَإِنِّي لَا أَرْجُوا أَنْ يَكُونُ قَدْ خَتَمَ وَخُتِمَ لَهُ بِخَيْرِ وَقَالَ لِي ذَاتِ يَوْمٍ وَأَنَا مَعَهُ جَالِسِ Ya Aba Abdullah, Allah fa Allah, inna ka lasta mithli wa lastu mithruk. Inna Allah ibtalani fa ajabtu, fala yuqasu bi. Fa inna ka lasta mithli wa lastu mithruk. Anta rajilun yuktada bik, wa kad madda hadha al-khalq a'naqahum ilayk. Subhanallah. Imam Ahmed said, I never seen someone who was so strong in their, in their religious devotion and loyalty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in, in addition to the fact that they were very young was other than Muhammad ibn Nur. I've never seen anybody that was stronger in their, in their diligence, stronger in their steadfastness and in their loyalty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala along with the fact that they were so young other than Muhammad ibn Nur. He said, and I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written for him a good ending. And this is what we all want. We all want a good ending. Allahumma inna nas'aluka khatimat al-hasan. We ask you for a good ending. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and yakhtim lana khitaman hasanan. That we want a good ending. As the scholars say that it's not what you lived on, it's what you die on. Because what you die on, you will be resurrected upon. It's not necessarily what you live on, but what you die on. How you spend those last moments of your life that is where it counts those last moments of your life because what you die on is what you will be resurrected on what you live on is what you die on and what you die on is what you're going to be resurrected on as ibn al-qayyim uh, so eloquently mentioned he said but i never seen anybody who was so young yet so steadfast and so loyal to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then muhammad ibn nur 
He said to me one day while we were sitting together, chained up together, he said to me, Ya Aba Abdullah, he said, Oh Abu Abdullah, Allah for Allah, I swear by Allah that you are not like me and I am not like you. I am not on your level, you're not on my level. He said, indeed, Allah tested me and I failed. I answered, I, I said the Quran was created, I said it. He says, so I should not be compared to you, nor should you be compared to me. He said, but you are a man that everyone is going to emulate. You are a man that everyone is going to follow. Everybody is sticking their necks out trying to see what Imam Ahmed is going to say. He said, He said, fear Allah and be firm. Be firm in this matter. And Imam Ahmed rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, فَتَعَجَّبْتُ مِنْ تَقْوِيَتِهِ وَمِنْ مَوْعِذَتِهِ إِيَّايَ He said, and I was amazed that, you know, his, his mawida, his, his, you know, his reminder to me and his, you know, strengthening me and his, you know, his admonition to me. And he said, حَتَّى صَارَ فِي بَعْضَ الْتَرِيكِ فَمَاتَ He said, and as we traveled along our journey uh, to, towards Mu'tasim, uh, Muhammad ibn Nuh, he died. He said, فَصَلَّيْتُ عَلَيْهِ وَدَّفَنْتُهُ وَأَذُنُّهُ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ قَالَ بِعَانَ He said, so Imam Ahmed said, so I, I prayed over him when we stopped. Meanwhile, they're being, you know, they're, they're laid across over a donkey and they're traveling through the desert between Syria and Iraq, right? Between Raqqa and Baghdad. They're going back and forth between Raqqa and Baghdad through the desert in the heat, even though they're traveling at night. And they're laying across donkeys. And as I mentioned earlier, that Imam Ahmed was biting onto the reins of the donkey with his teeth to hold himself from falling off of the donkey. And as they're, you know, traveling, him and Muhammad ibn Nuh, you know, they're having conversations with one another. And then Imam Ahmed starts to talk to him and he realizes that Muhammad ibn Nuh, he's not responding back. And Imam Ahmed learns at that moment that he's dead. He's riding on the back of a donkey with a dead guy, right? And when they reached the place to settle, Imam Ahmed said that he prayed over him. He prayed Salatul Janazah over him and he buried him himself. Obviously, those who were, you know, carrying them, the caravan, they didn't give, they didn't give two squats about him. So they left him. Imam Ahmed said, I prayed over him and I buried him. I prayed over him and I buried him. SubhanAllah. Okay, so now Imam Ahmed is on his way to Mu'tasim to go speak to Mu'tasim himself so that they can debate with him about the Qur'an. So let's take a look, some glimpses at what is happening here. All right. فرد أحمد إلى بغداد سنة ثمان وعشرة ومئتين. So Imam Ahmed was returned back to Baghdad. He was returned to Baghdad in the year ثمان وعشرة ومئتين. Two eighteen, the year two hundred and eighteen after Hijrah. All right. So that means at this time Imam Ahmed was how old? Let me see who who's following along. Imam Shafi'i died in 209. If this incident where Imam Ahmed is about to now be presented in front of Mu'tasim, 
right? And he's about to be tested. And this happened in the year 218. Imam Shafi'i died 209. So this was uh, roughly uh, nine years, uh, nine years after the uh, the death of, um, uh, of uh, Imam Shafi. How old was Imam Ahmed during this time? I believe that Imam Ahmed was born 164. So 164 to 218. How old was Imam Ahmed at this time? Let me see who's good with numbers. How old was he at this time? Furudda Ahmed ila Baghdad. في سنة ثمان وعشرة ومئتين والمعتسم امتحنه. So Imam Ahmed was sent back to Baghdad, and he was be to be presented in front of Mu'tasim in the year 218. So he was 54 years old, right? That's that's not that's not an old person. That's not a you know that was considered young. Imam Malik said that I did not give a fatwa, right for the for the first, you know, 40 years. I didn't open my mouth for 40 years. I mean, like a scholar, they weren't considered scholars until like mid 60s, 70s. And they were recognized as, you know, shuyukh, 54 years old, he's still a young man. He's still a young man during that time. SubhanAllah. So he's 54 years old at this time, right? So he's sent back to Baghdad, and he's now being presented in front of Mu'tasim, who is going to test him uh, about his position regarding the Qur'an. قَالَ أَخْبَرْنِي أَبُوْ عَبَّاسِ الرَّقِّي وَكَانَ مِنْ حُفَاظِ أَهْلِ الْحَدِيثِ أَنَّهُمْ دَخَلُوا عَلَى أَحْمَدْ بِالرَّقَّةِ وهو محبوس فجعلوا يذكرونه ما يروى في التقية من الأحاديث فقال أحمد وكيف تصنعون بحديث خباب إن من كان قبلكم كان من ينشر أحدهم بالمنشار ثم لا يسده ذلك عن دينه قال فيأسنا منه فقال أحمد لست أبالي بالحبس ما هو منزلي إلا ما ما هو ومنزلي إلا واحد ولا قتلا بالسيف إنما أخاف فتنة الصوت وأخاف أن لا أصبر سبحان الله. So some of the uh, prisoners they entered uh, uh, where Imam Ahmed was right before he's about to be presented in front of Mu'tasim. They want to make sure that Imam Ahmed is you know preparing himself for you know this situation. And they start to remind him about the hadith of what is called taqiyya. Taqiyya means, and this is something that a lot of, believe it or not, I'm, I'm going to explain something to you guys, so I want you to pay attention, right? If you ever notice how some foreign Muslims, they come from their countries and they move here to America, they move to Britain, they move to Canada, and they kind of just assimilate, right? They integrate completely, totally into that society, almost as if they are not even Muslim anymore. Almost as if they are not even Muslim. You might recognize the nose, you might recognize the, the, the dark lines under the eyes, you might recognize traits and characteristics that 
he's an Arab, right? And you might say, oh, you know, where are you from? And he might say, I'm from, you know, Palestine, or I'm from here, I'm from there, right? And you say, well, salam alaikum, you know, he might say, oh, oh, peace, brother, you know, and it's just like, man, it's like almost like this guy is not even Muslim. You know, he doesn't acknowledge, doesn't recognize, he says, you know, to Christians, Merry Christmas, you know, you know, he hangs out, he drinks, you know, he sells pork, he's, you know, and you're, you're you as a Muslim are trying to reconcile how somebody could be from a Muslim country, right, to come from a predominantly Muslim country, right, let's say that, because many of the countries, although predominantly Muslim, are not necessarily governed by Quran and Sunnah. This is something that we have to unlearn, especially those of us who are converts to Islam. This is something that we have to unlearn when we convert to Islam. We think that every Arab, every person that is out of that, you know, that comes from an Arab country or, you know, what we call Muslim country, we think that, you know, they have Islam, but we don't really understand, you know, the, the colonialism. We don't understand the, you know, um, the whitewashing of Islam. We don't understand the, the invasions and you know how they have been colonized. We don't we don't really understand that history. All right. We don't really understand the history. All right. We just automatically assume that he's an Arab, he comes from a Muslim country. And you know, I, I was incarcerated with a, a young brother, young brother from uh Palestine. He was Palestinian. And you know, he Although knew Arabic, he had to learn, relearn Arabic, like Fusha. All he knew was street Arabic. All right. He didn't know regular Arabic. And he did not know the Quran either. He was sitting in Quran classes along with me. And I used to be like, yo, you from Palestine. Like, how? Like, first of all, how are you even locked up? <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know, he was from Patterson. So as a, if you know anything about Jersey, you know anything about Patterson. You know, that the Moroccans and Palestinians, you know, they just as hood, they just as street as we are. You know, they come up in the same hoods, same ghettos. Many of them are born and raised right there in many of those environments. So many of them are no different than we are. So not to be confused about that. All right. Not to be confused about that at all. But and I used to ask them, like, you know, like, Dad, dude, you come from a Muslim country. And, you know, many of them have never even been home to their own countries. You know, many of them have never been there. All they know is the ghettos of America where they were born and raised. They don't they don't know Brooklyn as well. They, they don't know anything. They don't know Yemen. They don't know Palestine. That like we think we know it. Like we think we know it. Right? All we know is what we, you know, we see on TV, what we see in the news, and you know, Palestinian brothers or whatever, but you don't understand the history. You don't understand the history. You look at pictures of Egypt back in as early as 1960s. No women, women didn't wear hijab in Egypt. Very few. You, women in, in Egypt did not wear hijab in, in the 1960s. You know, we got to realize, you know, many of these places were colonized. Many of these places made pacts and deals with many of the colonizers, the British, the French. You know what I mean? They, they made deals with these, these people. And we convert to Islam and we see them and we automatically assume that they should know Quran, that they should know Arabic. Arabic is their mother language. Yes, but not the Arabic of the Quran. They speak a completely different Arabic. Many of them, believe it or not, when they stand at night for tarawih, listening to the imam recite the Quran, they are just as oblivious to what the imam is reciting from the Quran as you and I are.
Look, they are just as oblivious. You're thinking because he's an Arab that when he stands for the, you know, for the Tarawiya prayer and he's listening to the Imam, that he understands everything that Imam is saying and he doesn't. That's a fact. That's a cold, hard fact. They don't. They have to learn the Quran and the Arabic language just as we have to. They have to. And they don't. We just automatically assume that because he's an Arab, and that comes from our own, you know, our own programming, especially those of us as African Americans. That comes from our own programming. Because we just automatically assume, as we do, that everything white is right and everything that is Arab is Islam. You understand? Everything that is white, I, I've had Saudis. I lived in Saudi for many years of my life. I've had Saudis tell me, you guys, converts to Islam, y'all understand Islam better than we do. Y'all understand Islam better than we do. But as African-Americans, we just automatically assume that everything that is white is right. Columbus discovered America, right? The The... American justicism stands for liberty and justice for all. These are all farce that farce that have been taught to us, that we've been programmed, that we are in today's time unlearning a lot of this stuff because much of it is staring us right in the face and we don't really have an, an option. <laughs> we don't really have an option. You understand? And then, you know, we automatically assume that everything that is Arab is Islam. Everything that an Arab does is, you know, attached to Islam and it's not. But back to my point of what is called taqiyya, right? Taqiyya. Taqiyya means that if you live in an environment, right? You live in an environment that you can assimilate in that environment as a way of preserving and protecting yourself. Going back to the ayah that we mentioned before, right? About Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that except those who, you know, who proclaim disbelief verbally, but their hearts are content with faith. So there are many people who, foreigners who move to America, move to the West from their, you know, their localities, their, their environments, and they follow this deviant understanding of what's called taqiyya. And that is that when they get to America, they can shave their beard off, the woman can take off her hijab, can put on tight jeans, wear yoga pants, the guy can, you know, put on some tight jeans and a button-down shirt, and they can assimilate and they can, you know, infuse themselves into, integrate into the society and not have to actually show any traces of being a Muslim because they are practicing taqiyya. So now you know why. This is why you, you see a Muslim and you give them, you know, you, you might know that they're Muslim, you might know that they're Arab, or you might know that they're Pakistani, or you might know that they're Indian, and they don't want to show any signs that they're Muslim. And, you know, for us, we're always confused, like, well, why does it seem like they're running away from Islam? It's not that they are running away from Islam, but they are practicing some deviant understanding of what is called taqiyya. And that is that when I move to a non-Muslim environment, I don't have to act as a Muslim. I don't have to conduct myself as a Muslim. As long as I, right? As long as I conduct my, as long as I believe in my heart that I am a Muslim, 
then that's enough. I don't have to pray. I don't have to fast. I don't have to give Muslim salams. I don't have to dress as a Muslim. I don't have to wear hijab. I don't have to acknowledge anything from Islam outwardly, as long as I believe in Allah in my heart. And this is why when you run into certain Muslims, you're like, Akhi, fear Allah. You know, it's like, no, Islam is in my heart, brother. Right? You ever, you ever understood why the person did that? That's why they do it. Islam is in my heart, brother. Because they are practicing taqiyya. This understanding from where they got it from, wallahu a'lam. But they believe that when they move to non-Muslim environments, they can completely immerse themselves in that environment, integrate fully into that environment without having to outwardly acknowledge Islam or practice Islam. So as long as they believe it in their hearts, that's it. They don't want to draw any attention to themselves. They don't, you know, they have no traces, signs, anything. They may even go as far as changing their names. They may even go as far as changing their names. So if their name was Muhammad, they'll change their name to, you know, uh, you know, Ray or, you know, John or whatever. And you're like, John, how, where are you from? You're from Palestine and your name is John? It's like, really? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're practicing what's called taqiyya. Now, so some of the prisoners, they entered upon Imam Ahmed, knowing that Imam Ahmed was about to, you know, for, and I mean, obviously, this is kufr. Let me, let, me, let me be clear about that. This is completely kufr. If the person dies in that state, practicing what they call taqiyya, if they die in that state, they die as kufar. They die as disbelievers. They die as disbelievers, man. That's a fact. They die as kufar. Right. No, the Muhammad Mo, that's that's the young guys who want to be cool. I'm talking about fully changing your name from Muhammad to Mike. Changing your name from, you know, uh, Ali to, you know, John, you know, just completely erase Islam from. And, and the sad thing about that is what's happening is that a lot of them migrated here back in the 60s and the 70s, and they did that. But what they never anticipated was, you know, the revival of Islam, pure Islam, Sunni Islam. They never anticipated that. And then, of course, now hits Malcolm X. Malcolm X transi transitions from the nation of Islam to Sunni Islam, you know, and you know, and now Sunni Islam is literally standing on this on their doorstep. Now many of their children, their grandchildren, want to be practicing Muslims. And the very thing that they ran from is the very thing that is staring them right in their faces. As Allah says in the Quran, that no matter where you turn, there you will find the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No matter where you turn, you can run from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as much as you want to. But the very thing that you want you run from, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about the disbelievers of, disbelievers of Quraysh, the very thing that they used to mock is now surrounding them, now staring them right in the face. Now their children, their grandchildren are practicing Muslims, 
Palestinians with big, huge beards pray five times a day. Indians, Pakistanis, you know, from whatever culture, Syrians, Turkish, they, they are now here in America. Their grandchildren, the immigrants who came here in the 60s, who wanted nothing to do with Islam, under the guise that I'm moving here for a better life for myself and for my children. And the very thing that they ran from is now staring them right in the face. They're running into problems now with their children and grandchildren because their children and grandchildren want to marry for Islam. And they still trying to force them to marry for culture. No, she's not Palestinian. No, she's not Pakistani. No, he's not this. You can't marry him. He's African-American. You can't marry him. He's Hispanic. Oh, he's not Arab. He's not this. He doesn't come from our tribe. And their children, they're, they're tired of that. The grandchildren, they're tired of that. They just want to be practicing Muslims. They don't see all of those barriers. They don't see all of those obstacles that the parents see or the grandparents see because they were trying to run away from Islam. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the Kufar of Quraysh, who many of their children embraced Islam, right? The Prophet sallallahu married Abu Sufyan's daughter. You understand? Abu Sufyan, one of the chief enemies of Islam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam heard his son, his son and his daughter converted to Islam. Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan converted to Islam and Umm Habiba converted to Islam. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam turned around and married Umm Habiba. The same guy, Abu Sufyan, who was at the forefront at the Battle of Badr, right? Leading the army during the Battle of Badr. And although he wanted to turn around afterwards and Abu Jahl kind of pushed the envelope afterwards, nonetheless, the Prophet married his daughter, man. Just imagine someone is hates you as a Muslim, you know, your next door neighbor, he hates you as a Muslim, he throws stuff on your lawn, he parks, you know, in a certain way so it makes it difficult for you and he's your neighbor and he's just a, just who he is and he hates Islam, hates you. And But his daughter one day sees you and says, hey, I'm interested in Islam. And she converts to Islam and you marry his daughter and he has to live with that. You understand what that means? Do you understand what that means? <laughs> the Quraysh, they referred to the Prophet Sallallahu as Al-Fahl. He's a bull that when he comes to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage, no woman is going to deny him. And you got to live with that. She converted to Islam. Her brother converted, Muawiyah converted to Islam. Hind bint Abi Umayyah, um, um Salama converted to Islam. Abu Umayyah was the, the owner of Bilal, used to torture Bilal. You understand Abu Umayyah, one of the chiefs of Quraysh, his own daughter, Um Salama, and her husband, Abu Salama, both converted to Islam. The Prophet Sallallahu ended up marrying Um, um Salama later on. You understand? فَحَاقَ بِالَّذِينَ سَخِرُوا مِنْهُمْ مَا كَانُوا بِهِ يَسْتَهْزِئُونَ As Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala said, and the very thing that they used to mock, they are now surrounded by it, staring you right in your face. The very thing that you ran from, the very thing that you ran from is now staring you right in your face. And the same thing goes for African-American first generation, second generation Muslims. 
Same thing. Many of the, the children, they didn't they felt like their parents were being too rigid, too strict. They immersed themselves in rap culture, hip hop culture. They lost themselves. And now many of the people that they now want to be married to are practicing Muslims and they have no other choice but to find their way back to Islam. That's a fact. That's a fact. And the very thing that you used to mock, the very thing that you used to make fun of, Muslims wearing thobes, this one wearing hijab, this one doing the most, this one doing that. Now look at you. You're doing the same thing now because you are now been welcomed back into the fold of Islam. And that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. The very thing that we mock, the very thing that we make fun of comes back to haunt us. So they enter into the prison and they tell Imam Ahmed, why don't you practice taqiyya? Practice taqiyya. Just tell them that you believe that the Quran is created, although deep down inside you don't really believe it. Just say that, just to save yourself. And Imam Ahmed said, khabab. He said, and if I do that, then what about the hadith khabab? Keep in mind, Imam Ahmed, Imam Ahmed is a scholar of hadith. Imam Ahmed is a scholar of hadith. So they're coming at him with all of the proofs and evidences for practicing taqiyah. Imam Ahmed retorts with, well, what am I to do with the hadith of Khabab? Where the Prophet said that before you, there was a nation of people who came before you who believed. And one of them would be buried up to his neck in sand. And they would take a hot comb and peel his skin off of his bones. And that would not be enough to turn the man away from his religion. Before you, there were nations of people who were buried up to their necks in sand, and they would take a, 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 a saw and cut his head in half, and that would not be enough to chase him away from his deed. And so they came to the realization that, you know, they came to the realization that there was no turning Imam Ahmed back. Uh, and Imam Ahmed said, let's do Ubali bil Habs. He said, I don't care about being put in prison. He said, I'll make the prison cell my, my house, my home. I'm not worried about being in prison. I'm not worried about being in prison. That, that doesn't bother me. That prison, my prison cell and my home will become one. I don't worry. I'm not worried about being in prison. Nor am I worried about being killed with the sword. They could slit my throat. I don't care. I'm not worried about that. He said, He said, but the thing that I fear the most is the whip. The thing that I fear the most, like my, my heart, as I'm saying this, my heart is like beating very fast. He said, the, he said, I'm not afraid of being put in prison. I don't care about being put in prison. He said, because my, my prison cell will become my home. I, I don't care. I don't mind. He said, and I'm not afraid of dying either. I'm not afraid of the sword either. They slit my throat. I don't care. He said, but the thing that I fear the most is fitna to soap, is, is the whip. Because they're going to torture him. They're going to, they're going to whip him. They're going to take the shirt off of him. They tie his hands around a pole so nothing is there except the back. And they lash his back. He said, that's the thing that I fear the most. 
He said, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm not going to have the patience that it takes to withstand. Can you imagine being lashed? Many of us have been beat by our parents with a belt, with a leather belt or an extension cord or anything that a black parent could find to strike you with. You understand? Just think about that first hit, you know, that sting, right? You know, your mom catch you with that, that, that extension cord or catch you with that belt across your back. That, that one that just, just you let out a cry, right? You let out a, a holler, a cry that even the other parent or even the other siblings kind of run to your rescue. They run to your rescue. There have been times that I've been beaten and my foster father comes and, and he was, you know, he was the worst of them. But even he had a little bit of mercy in that moment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put a little mercy in his heart in that moment for him to grab his wife to stop hitting me. You understand? Can you imagine a thick leather whip, right? And then the person that is hitting you with it is a person that has been trained to break men. Trained to break men with the whip. Because that's what it was about. Like many parents, like many parents, they beat you to break you, right? This is how you know that a parent is not hitting the child. And I'm not an advocate for that either. But the parent is not hitting the child for the purpose of discipline or to teach the child a lesson. The, the, the parent is beating the child to break the child. Let me tell you how the parent beats to break. Let me show you. When a parent hits the child, right? Parent hits the child. And the child does not show any emotion. And the parent said, oh, you're not going to cry? Oh, you're not going to cry? And they hit harder. They hit harder. They strike harder with more severity. That's how you know in that moment that what you are doing, what the parent is doing, is not about discipline. You are trying to break the child. You want to see the child cry. You want to hear the child scream. That's about breaking the spirit. And you know where we get that from as African-Americans? Take one guess where we get that from. Take one guess where we get that from. Be mindful of hate because you become the very thing that you hate. We get that from slavery. Make no mistake about it. We get that from slavery. Make no mistake about that. We're going to break you. We're going to break your spirit. And here we are, hundreds of years later, doing it to our own children. You got to understand the psychology where this stuff comes from. Man. Understand where this stuff comes from. So even Ahmed said, I'm not afraid of being put in prison. I'm not uh, afraid of, of dying. What I am afraid of is the is the whip. I'm afraid that I won't be patient with the whip. So some of the people in the prison, obviously who have been in prison for a while, who have been 
lashed and had been whipped before, they heard Imam Ahmed say that, right? فَقَالَ لَا عَلَيْكَ يَا أَبَا عَبْدِ اللَّهِ فَمَا هُوَ إِلَّا صَوْتٌ ثُمَّ لَا تَدْرِي أَيْنَ يَقَعَ الثَّانِي فَكَأَنَّهُ سُرِّيَ عَنْهُ وَرُبْدَةً مِنَ الرَّقَّةً وَالْحُبِّسَةً Those who were in prison heard Imam Ahmed say, I'm afraid of the whip. I don't know if I can be patient, right? They heard him say that, and they went over to Imam Ahmed and said, مَا عَلَيْكَ يَا أَبَا عَبْدِ اللَّهِ They said, don't worry about that. Oh, Abu Abdullah, don't worry about the whip. He said, because there's only one whip, one strike that you're going to feel. After that, you won't feel nothing. It'll numb you up. <laughs> the first strike you feel, after, every strike after that, you don't feel nothing because you can't even, you, you're going to be so out of it, you won't even recall what's happening to you. SubhanAllah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine someone with this thick leather whip has been, you know, prepared for tearing, ripping through skin, because that, that's what it was about. Here again, breaking you, breaking you. You're gonna pass out, right? That's what he's talking about. You're gonna feel one whip, boom, across your back, and you're gonna pass out from the first one. You ain't even gonna feel the rest of them. These people have been in prison, so they already know the deal. They heard Imam Ahmed say this, so they kind of giving him some advice to help him along the journey. And you could see after they said that to Imam Ahmed, that he was kind of a little pleased afterwards, right? Dipping in water, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so let's get to the beginning of the test, the beginning of the trial. قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي قال حدثنا محمد ابن حسن ابن محمد ابن عثمان بالبصرة قال حدثني عبيد قال حدثني داود ابن عرفة قال حدثنا ميمون ابن أسبغ قال كنت ببغداد فسمعت ضجة فقلت ما هذا قالوا أحمد ابن حنبل يمتحن في القرآن that he's now in Baghdad he was sent back from Raqqa back to Baghdad Mu'tasim is the leader of the Muslims in that area from the Abbasid dynasty. All right, this is the the second dynasty, the Abbasid dynasty. Um, Mu'tasim was was started before Harun al-Rashid, but Harun al-Rashid kind of brought it up to par, and then after Harun al-Rashid dies, his sons begin to uh, claim the Khilafah. So first it was Ma'mun, and now it is Mu'tasim. So he's now Imam Ahmed is now in Baghdad, right? He's in Baghdad. And uh, the narrator, Maymoon ibn Asbaq, he said, I was in Baghdad and I'm hearing all of this noise and, you know, people rushing, grabbing their things, rushing to this particular place. And everybody, I can hear all of this clamor and this, this chatter. And I asked, what's going on? What's happening? What's, what's going on? And he said, Ahmed ibn Hanbal, yumtahan fil Quran. Imam Ahmed is now being tested with the Quran. Because they did this sometimes in public. Some of these debates that they had with Imam Ahmed was done in public. It was public shame and humiliation, right? But little did they know, Imam Ahmed wasn't your average scholar. We're talking about a kid, man, whose mother had pushed him to memorize the Quran by 10, pushed him to go seek knowledge. He sat with the greats of, you know, Imam Shafid and, and you know, Ali ibn Medini, Fulan, Fulan. His contemporaries were the like of Bishr ibn Hadith, uh, um, excuse me, um, uh, uh, Bishr ibn Hadith. Uh, as well as um, 
uh, Yahya ibn Ma'in, these, these are his contemporaries, great scholars of hadith. Great scholars of hadith. This is not your average Muhammad that they got. They don't realize that yet. They think they're going to break them with the whip. So he says that I'm hearing all of this clamor. I'm hearing all of this chatter. What's going on? Imam Ahmed's about to be tested. He says, so I grabbed some money. I ran home and I grabbed some money. I wanted to pay to be a part of this. You know, I wanted to be in, I wanted to be in the inside. I wanted to see what's happening to Imam Ahmed on the inside. Right? They were charging money to allow people in to witness the great debate of Imam Ahmed and you know the, the Ibn Abi Du'ad and some of the Muratazila and all of their cabinets, right? So I said, I wanted to be on the inside. Uh, he said, so uh, I got dressed um, and I, I put on my black cloak. They, they allowed me to enter. He said, and when I entered, I could see that the, the pillars, they already had the ropes around them waiting because they bring you out. They tie your arms around the, the pole. So the only thing that is exposed is your back. So he said, when I entered, I saw the poles with the strap with the, the ropes hanging from the poles. I saw the swords. I saw the swordsmen holding the swords. I saw the whips. I saw everything. They about to torture this guy, man. He's he's witnessing this. This is what I'm seeing when I enter. He said, and they sat me close to the majlis, close to the gathering where I could hear whatever was being said. فَإِذَا أَنَا بِأَمِيرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ عَلَيْهِ رِدَاءٌ حَتَّى جَلَسَ عَلَى كُرْسِي He said, and as I look up, I can see Mu'atasim, the leader of the Muslims, uh, he has on his, you know, ridā, he has on his cloak, and he sits down on his on his chair. فَقَالَ أَيْنَ هَذَا الَّذِي يَزْعُمُ عَنَّ اللَّهَ جَلَّ وَعَلَى يَنْطِقُ بِجَارِ حَتَيْنِ he said, this is Muratasim, the leader of the Muslims. He said, where is this guy who says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks with two lips? Where's, where's this guy? You see what he's doing? He's trying to make it seem like uh, Imam Ahmed is pra practicing what is called tajassum, meaning likening Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his creation. All right? right? Likening Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his creation. So he says, where's this guy who claims that God speaks with two lips? فَأُوْتِيَ بِأَحْمَدِ بِنْ حَنْبَلْ وَعَلَيْهِ قَمِيسْ أَبْيَضٌ وَكِسَاءٌ أَخْضَرٌ أَخْضَرٌ وَنَعْلُهُ مُعَلِّقٌ بِيَدِهِ حَتَّى أَوْقَفَ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ فَقَالَ أَنْتَ أَحْمَدُ بِنْ حَنْبَلْ فَقَالَ أَنَا أَحْمَدُ بِنْ مُحَمَّدٍ بِنْ حَنْبَلٍ So he says, where is this guy who claims that God speaks with two lips? So they brought out Imam Ahmed. He had on a white kamis, as Imam Ahmed, one of his favorite colors was white. Even after this, or even before this incident, they said that Imam Ahmed was the cleanest man that you ever seen. You ever never seen anybody cleaner than Imam Ahmed. He always wore a clean white garment, clean white garment. Was always clean, man. 
He, he took very good care of how he presented himself to the world. All right. So he had on a, a white cloak. He had on uh, a green uh, under uh, underpiece around uh, or Izar around his waist. And he had his carrying his sandals in his hand while his hands were chained together. And they brought him in front of Mu'atasim, the leader of the Muslims. Brought him out in front of the Muslims, uh, the leader of the Muslims. فَقَالَ أَنْتَ أَحْمَدِ بِنْ حَنْبَلِ And he says to him, are you Ahmed ibn Hanbal? And Imam Ahmed said, yes, I'm Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Hanbal. Meaning Hanbal is my grandfather. Get it right. My name is Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Hanbal. فَقَالَ بَلَغَنِي أَنَّكَ تَقُولُ أَنَّ الْقُرْآنَ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ غَيْرٌ مَخْلُوقٌ فَقَالَ لَهُ أَصْلَحَ اللَّهُ أَمِرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ الْبَلَاغَاتِ تَزِيدُ وَتَنْكُسُ فَقَالَ لَهُ يَا مُبَارَكُ فَأَيْشْ تَقُولُ قَالَ أَقُولُ الْقُرْآنَ غَيْرُ مَخْلُوقٍ وَعَلَى أَيِّ حَالَاتٍ كَانَ قَالَ وَمِنْ أَيْنَ خُلْتَ قَالَ رَوَى فِي الْحَدِيثِ قَدْ قَالَ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ إِنَّ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ الَّذِي اخْتَصَّ بِهِ مُوسَى عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ 100000 كَلِمَةٌ و13 كَلِمَةٌ وَكَانَ الْكَلَامُ مِنَ اللَّهِ جَلَّ وَعَلَى وَالِاسْتِمَاعُ مِنْ مُوسَى So he says to Imam Ahmed, are you the one who, who claims that the Qur'an is the speech of Allah and it is not created? The Qur'an, he said, إِنَّ الْقُرْآنَ تَقُولُ إِنَّ الْقُرْآنَ كَلَامُ اللَّهِ غَيْرُ مَخْلُوقٍ فَقَالَ أَصْلَحُ اللَّهُ أَمِيرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ So Imam Ahmed said, may Allah correct the leader of the Muslims. Al-balagat tazidu wa tankus. You know, eloquence, it increases and decreases. You sound nice now. All right. He said, what did Imam Ahmed, so the Muratasim, he couldn't really make out what Imam Ahmed was saying. So he says to Imam Ahmed, what do you say about the Quran? Imam Ahmed said, the Quran is the, cre is the speech of Allah. It is not created. Under any circumstances, the Quran is not created. And so he asked Imam Ahmed, so well, where did you get this from? Where are you getting this from? So Imam Ahmed said, fil hadith. It was mentioned in hadith. Mind you, he's a scholar of hadith. He said it was mentioned in the hadith that the Prophet Sallallahu said, Inna kalam Allah alladhi ikhtassa bihi Musa salam, that indeed the speech of Allah by which Allah favored Musa by speaking to him with this speech specifically is a hundred uh, is mi'atu alf kalima is a hundred thousand letters, a hundred thousand words thalatha ashra kalimatin fakanad kalam wa thalatha ashra kalima is 113 words, meaning in the Torah. That, that's how many words were in the Torah. He memorized the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, the speech of Allah by which he favored Musa and spoke directly to Musa with is 100,013 words, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to Musa. Allah was the speaker, Musa was the listener. This was Imam Ahmed's dalil, this was his proof. فَقَالَ كَذَبْتَ يَا عَدُوَ اللَّهِ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ مَا قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم شَيْءٍ مِنْ ذَلِكَ فَقَالَ أَحْمَدْ إِنْ كُنْتُ تَقُولُ إِنَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ لَمْ يَكُلْ شَيْءٍ مِنْ هَذَا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ جَلَ وَعَلَى يَقُولُ وَلَكِنْ حَقَّ الْقَوْلُ مِنِّي لَأَمْلَأَنَّ جَهَنَّمْ مِنَ الْجِنِّ وَالْإِنْسِ مِنَ الْجِنَّتِ you're a liar. You're a liar. 
The Prophet you're a liar, O enemy of Allah. The Prophet never said that. Meanwhile, he's talking to Imam Ahmed, scholar of Hadith. Abu Zura'a al-Razi, great scholar of Hadith, he said to Imam Ahmed's son one time, he said to Abdullah, he said, your father memorized Hafidha Abuka Alf Alf Hadith. Alf Alf Hadith. He said, your father memorized a million hadith. Abdullah said, well, how did you know? He said, because I went to go visit him one day and we started to, you know, uh, you know, talk about hadith and he just running off hadith after hadith after hadith after hadith, running them off to me. SubhanAllah. And we know that there's not, as I explained before, there's not a, thou a million hadith in the compilation of the Prophet ﷺ, but he's talking about a million hadith in terms of hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, statements of the Sahaba, statements of the Tabi'een, you know, the Fatawa, the, the Islamic rulings of the Sahaba, things like that. So he combined all of that. One million hadith off ala dhahri qalbi, from his mental. So he says, where did you get this that the Quran is the speech of Allah, it's not created? So he quotes the hadith to him. The leader of the Muslim says to Imam Ahmed, Kadabt, you're a liar. Yeah, I do Allah, you enemy of Allah. He's calling Imam Ahmed the enemy of Allah, right? Meanwhile, he's trying to institute Greek philosophy into the theology of Islam. He said the Prophet ﷺ never said anything remotely close to that. Imam Ahmed said, well, if the Prophet ﷺ didn't say that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Walakin minni. And the truth, the word of truth from me is that I will fill the hellfire with jinn and mankind altogether. And notice how he used that ayah, right? Sort of to sajda, sort of to surah number 32, ayah, one, uh, ayah 13. Surah number, turn to surah 32, ayah 13. Why did he pull that ayah out? Because in that ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that there's speech, the, the speech from me. But this, the word holds truth with me that I will fill the hellfire with jinn and mankind altogether, meaning those who disobey me. So Imam Ahmed said, well, if the speech is uh, from Allah, then Allah speaks. Surah 32, Surah 32, Ayah 13, Surah the Sajda. So a 32, ayah 13. So Imam Ahmed extracts from the ayah, he said that, So if the statement came from Allah, then speaking is from the characteristics of Allah. If the statement came from Allah, if Allah said the statement is holds true from me, if the statement came from Allah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks. فَالْتَفَتَ إِلَىٰ إِبْنَ so then Mu'tasim, he turns to Ibn Abi Du'ad, the Mu'tazili, and he says, debate him. Debate him. And فَقَالَ كَلِّمْهُ فَقَالَ Ibn Abi Du'ad اقْتُلْهُ وَلَطَمَ أَحْمَدْ فَخَرَّ مَخْشِيًا عَلَيْهِ ثُمَّ أَفَاقَ قَالَ Mu'tasim, وَقَرَابَتِي مِنَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَا أَضْرِبَنَّكَ بِالسِّيَاطِ so they, he can't really debate with Imam Ahmed. So he turns to Ibn Abi Du'ad. 
you know, his his cabinet, you know, the, the Moritezidi, the, the the scholar from the Moritezidi, he said, Kalimhu, debate with him, debate with him about this matter. So Ibn Abi Du'ad, knowing that he can't debate with Imam Ahmed, he says, Uqtulhu, kill him. And he slapped Imam Ahmed in the face. He slapped Imam Ahmed in the face. He said, kill him. And he slapped him in the face. Imam Ahmed falls down on the ground. They grab Imam Ahmed, bring him back to consciousness. Mu'tasim, the leader of the Muslims, he says to Imam Ahmed, وَقَرَابَتِي مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ I swear by my relationship with the Prophet ﷺ. These were the great, 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 great grandchildren of the Prophet ﷺ, of, of uh, Ibn Abbas, the, the, from the Prophet's relatives, right? These were Abdullah Ibn Abbas's great, 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 great grandchildren. Right, so they have they trace their lineage back to the Prophet sallallahu and Muratasim said, "I swear by my relationship with the Prophet sallallahu that I will whip you with the whip. I will whip you. I will strike you down with the whip, or you will say what I say. You will say exactly as I say that the Quran is created." And then Mu'tasim, he turns to the lashers. They're standing there, these big brute men, all these muscles, and they're standing there with their whips. Mu'tasim turns to the jalad, turns to the lashers, and he says, take him, take him. And they grabbed Imam Ahmed and they ripped his shirt off of him. SubhanAllah. They ripped his shirt off of him. SubhanAllah. They rip his shirt off of him and they throw him up against the, the, the pillar, right? And wrap his arms around the pillar. And they hit him with the first strike across his back. They struck Imam Ahmed across his back with the first strike, across his back. The first time they hit Imam Ahmed across his back, he said, Bismillah. They struck, they hit him for the second time across his back. Imam Ahmed said, There's no power, no might except with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When they struck him across his back for the third time, Imam Ahmed said, Al-Quran, The Quran is the speech of Allah. It's not created. He's handling all of the lashes. Do you guys understand what's happening here? Do you understand what's happening here? Here's a man that is, we are in, believe it or not, this happened in Ramadan. This is happening while Imam Ahmed is fasting. This is happening in Ramadan. Right now, we are sitting in the comforts of our homes in Ramadan 2021. Ramadan in this year right here, 218 years after the death of the, after the hijrah of the Prophet Sallallahu 218 years after the death, we are 1442 years away, sitting in the comfort of our air-conditioned home, fasting in the month of Ramadan, right? And here's Imam Ahmed, 218 years after the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ being tortured in Ramadan. SubhanAllah, can you imagine? I want you to think about this. This is happening while he is fasting. As we will see, after they finish beating him, 
They took him back to the prison cell. They tried to give him some water because he's sweating, he's bleeding. And Imam Ahmed takes the water and he pushes the water skin away from him. And he said, La uftir alaha. I'm not going to break my fast for this. I'm fasting. I'm not going to break my fast for this. It is what it is. SubhanAllah. So Mu'tasim, he says to Imam Ahmed, he said, either you're going to say what I say or I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. And he told the Jalad, he told the, the soldiers to take him. And they rip his shirt off of him. They tie his arms around the pillar and they struck him with the first strike across his back. The first thing he said was Bismillah in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They struck him again for the second time. He said, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. There's no might, no power except with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They struck him the third time. He said, Al-Quran, khalam Allah ghayra makhluq. The Quran is the speech of Allah. It's not created. Reaffirming his aqidah, even though they're torturing him. He's reaffirming his aqidah. How many of us have left Islam, gone outside of Islam, come back into Islam, leave Islam, come back into Islam for the smallest little trials and tribulations in our lives? Because you can't find a job, because you can't stay in a marriage, because you can't keep a wife, because you can't keep a husband in and out of Islam, in and out of Islam. Here's a man being tortured for the Quran, still reaffirming his belief in the Quran. The Quran is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Strike me, continue. You understand? Here's a man in Ramadan while he's fasting being tortured. And while he's being tortured, he's reaffirming his aqidah that the Quran is the book of Allah and is not created. Meanwhile, we have the smallest little tests that come to us in our life. And the first thing that we're ready to do is leave Islam. That's why I don't pray no more. That's why I don't give charity no more. That's why I don't go to the masjid no more. That's why I don't mess with Muslims no more. If you don't mess with Muslims no more, then who you mess with? You don't mess with Muslims no more. Who you mess with? You don't go to the masjid anymore. Where you go? That's why you don't give charity anymore. Where you then? Where you where you spending your money? You don't pray because you going through something. Do you think life is going to get better for you when you stop praying, or does life take a dark turn for the worse when you stop praying? Please tell me. Tell me, does life get better for you when you leave Islam? Let me know how that works out for you. I'm going to stay over here with all my tests, with all my trials, with all of that. Just as long as my deen remains unscathed, I'm good. You ain't got no deen, but you got dunya. You got, you got high hills. You got pocketbooks. You got a Benz. You got Gucci shades. You got, you know, you live in a mansion or you live in this house. You live in Atlanta. You got a house over here. You over here doing business over here. You traveling the world, mashallah, but you have no deen. You have nothing waiting for you in the hereafter. Nothing. Nothing. And there's no barakah in your life, which is why you're constantly on the hamster wheel looking for the next greatest high, which y'all doing tomorrow, which y'all doing next week. You ever been around somebody and they just want to party every single day? Let's do this tomorrow. Let's, I, I wish we could do this every day. I bet you do, you miserable soul, you. 
You wish you could do this every day? I bet you do. You that damn miserable. You're that miserable. You wish you could do this every day, every weekend. <laughs> because you have nothing else going on in your life. Some people are so poor, the only thing they have is money. Some people are so poor, the only thing that you have is your money, your wealth, your material possessions. That's all you have. And there's nothing deep about you. Nothing. Everything is on the surface. Nothing deep about you whatsoever. They struck Imam Ahmed for the third time across his back. He says, the Quran is the speech of Allah, it's not created. They struck Imam Ahmed for the fourth time and he quoted an ayat from Surah Tawbah, from Surah number 9, ayat, uh, ayat uh, uh, 51. Turn to Surah 9, ayat 51. Turn to Surah 9, Ayah 51. These are the ayats that when you understand these stories connected to these ayats, when you're sitting in the Salat and the Imam comes across these ayats and you're replaying these stories back in your head, you're like, oh, that's the ayat that the blood from Uthman spilt on the Quran in that ayat. That's the ayat that Imam Ahmed recited when he was struck across his back. You have context now. You have context. The ayats actually mean something to you now. The ayats from the Quran, they actually resonate. <laughs> they actually resonate with you. They mean something now because you know stories behind these ayats. The ayat where Uthman was reading the Quran like this at his home and they broke into his house and slit his throat. His blood spills on the Quran, spills on the ayat. Do you know the ayat that his blood spilled on? Surah Al-Baqarah. I'll give you a challenge. Go find the ayat. The next time you hear that ayat recited in the salat, you tremble because you you the ayat has meaning for you now. Imam Ahmed quoted this ayat, Len yusibuna illa ma lana. Nothing can affect us. Nothing can, you know, no calamity can befall us except what Allah has already written for us. Nothing, no calamity can befall us except what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already written for us. He is our guardian. He is our protector. They beat Imam Ahmed 29 times. This is just on the first one. This is not all they beat. They didn't they beat him more than this. This was just the first time. There, there are more interactions, more engagements. Keep in mind, this fitna went on for 30 months. Two and a half years this went on. Two and a half years this went on. This wasn't the first or the last. I mean, this was the first, but it wasn't the last. 29 times they beat him. Then they sent him back to his cell. But Imam Ahmed, the whole time that he's being lashed, he's using the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He's using the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to numb him to the pain. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Isn't it with the remembrance of Allah that the hearts find tranquility? It reminds me of the story of uh, Abdullah uh, of Urwa ibn Zubair. 
Oruwa Ibn Zubair when he had to get his leg cut off because, you know, he was bit by a scorpion and uh, the poison started to creep up his leg. And in order to cut off the poison from continually to, from continue, continuing to spread throughout his body, they had to cut his leg off. They had to remove his leg. So they offered him khamar. They offered him to drink alcohol to numb him. And Oruwa said, no, khamar is haram in my religion. I'm not drinking no alcohol. And he said, well, what are you going to do to numb yourself to the pain? He said, I will remember Allah. Adhkurullah. I'll remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they begin cutting at his leg. There's no painkiller, no nothing. <laughs> they start to remove, start to saw into his leg, cut into his leg. And he's remembering Allah. La ilaha illallah. Allahu Akbar. La ilaha illallah. Subhanallah. Allahu Akbar. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Subhanallah wa bihamdi wa subhanallah ala azim. He's remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until he falls unconscious. When he regains consciousness, he sees his leg laying on a table and he asked the doctor, he said, is that my leg over there? He said, yes. He said, bring me my leg. He took his leg and he kissed his leg and he said, Allah knows that I have never taken one footstep with you towards something that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many from amongst us can actually say that? He said, I've never taken I've never taken one footstep with you towards something that was displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's talking to his leg because he knows that on the day of judgment, his leg is going to talk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, يَوْمَ نَخْتِمُ عَلَىٰ أَفْوَاحِهِمْ وَتُكَلِّمُنَا أَيْدِيهِمْ وَتَشْحَدُوا أَرْجُلُهُمْ بِمَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that on the day when we will seal your mouths shut and your hands will talk and your feet, your legs will bear witness. Your legs will bear witness. Imam Ahmed is remembering Allah. First strike, he says, Bismillah. Second strike, he says, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Third strike, he said, Al Quran, Kalamullah, Ghayra makhluq. The Quran is the speech of Allah, it's not created. Fourth strike, he says, Len yusibuna illa ma kataballahu lana. We can never be afflicted with anything except what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already decreed for us to be tested with. They brought Imam Ahmed back out, spoke to him again. فَرَجَعَ فَجَلَسَ ثُمَّ قَالَ لِلْجَلَّادِينَ تَقَدَّمُوا فَجَعَلَ الْجَلَّادِ يَتَقَدَّمْ فَيَضْرِبُنِي صَوْتَيْنِ وَيَتَنَحَّى They brought Imam Ahmed out, took him back to the prison, right? Let him cool off for a little bit. He's bleeding. He's, he's lashed across his back 29 times by big 200, 300-pound men that all they get paid to do all day long is to lash people. So that's all they do is to beat people. That's your job. I, 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 obviously, they're going to perfect their craft. They got good at beating people, right? Torture. They bring Imam Ahmed out on another occasion. And the Mu'atasim, he says to Imam Ahmed, He said, Wayhak ya Ahmed, a jibini ila shade, leka fihi adina faraj, hata utlika and wa arkab ilaika bihaili. He says to Imam Ahmed, Imam Ahmed, a jibini, 
into me. Just say the Quran is created. Just say it's created. Give me, just, just say, okay, if it's not created, just say that I'm right. Say that you understand my perspective. Give me something, right? <laughs> just answer something. Give me something, right? Some type of validation. Even if you don't say you agree with me, just say that my perspective is correct. Say that you understand that I have a perspective. Just give me something. Just the, the smallest little compromise. Just give me some compromise. So that I can let you go. Compromise with me just a little bit. I'll let you go. As a matter of fact, I'll come to you when I need advice. You can go home and I'll come to you on my horses with my army and my troops. I'll come to you for advice. Just give me something. Want some level of compromise. And Imam Ahmed said, nothing more than, Ya Amiru Mu'mineen, O leader of the believers. He's still addressing him with respect. Even though he's disrespecting the book of Allah, even though he's disrespecting the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, even though he's disrespecting Islam, even though he's about to carry the Muslims on a belief that was foreign to the Muslims and Islam beforehand. And yet he still addresses him, Amiru Mu'mineen, O leader of the believers. Says to Imam Ahmed, just give me something. Just compromise with me on something. Just the smallest little compromise. And Imam Ahmed says to him, Ya Amiru Mu'mineen, O leader of the Muslims, A'atini shay'an min kitabillah aw min sunnata rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hatta aqula bi. Give me something from the book of Allah or from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that coincides with your belief so that I can say it. <laughs> I, you want me to respond, but I can't respond unless you give me an ayat or hadith. <laughs> this is Ahlu Sunnah. Miss me with all of what you hear people talking. I'm on the Sunnah. I'm on the Haq. This is Ahlu Sunnah. Miss me with all of that. He said, give me something from the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi so that I can, I, can, I can agree with you. You haven't given me anything from the book of Allah, from the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu Give me something. All the people who say, Allah's not here, Allah's not there, his hands don't mean this, his face don't mean that. Give me something from the book of Allah, from the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu We say no more than what Imam Ahmed said. Imam Ahmed's reply to the leader of the Muslims in that moment is sufficient. Give me something from the book of Allah. When you say, oh, the scholars warned from him, he don't take from this person, don't take from that person, don't listen to this person, give me something from the book of Allah, or from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, give me something from the Quran or from the sunnah so that I can see your point, so I can see your perspective, so that I can actually, you know, agree with what you're saying. Don't tell me no sheikh said this. Don't tell me no scholar said that. Don't tell me the ulama say this. I don't give me something from the book of Allah or from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu so that I can agree with it. That's it. Thick positions are based upon ayah and hadith. Fatawa, ulama, scholars, all of their positions, all of that goes back to the book of Allah or the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu They are not independent of that. They cannot give a ruling, they cannot give a judgment, they cannot give an opinion that is independent of the book of Allah and the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Facts. Can't. 
Imam Malik said, Kullun yukhad min qawlihi aw yurad illa sahibu hadal qabr wa ashara ila qabr al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imam Malik said, everyone's statement, everyone's opinion can be either accepted or rejected, except the opinion of the man in that grave right there. And he pointed to the grave of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You understand? Give me something from the book of Allah, from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, hatta aqula bi, so that I can say the same thing. <laughs> right? And when you differ in anything, return it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger. That is that is our mantra. That should be our mantra. Imam Ahmed said, while he's chained up, he's in a very humbling situation, very inferior situation. However, what gave him authority, what gave him power, what gave him the position that he had is that he knew that there's nothing that anybody can say that if it does not go back to the book of Allah, the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu I am in no way, shape, form, or fashion obligated to accept it, period. I am not obligated to accept it. He's in a humbling, a humbled position, chained up. He's already been lashed. He's in front of the leader of the Muslims. Everybody's standing around. He says to Imam Ahmed, just give me something. I'm going to shake. Give me something. Give me something so I can let you go. I'll come to you. And Imam Ahmed says to him, nothing more than, you got to give me something from the book of Allah, the sunnah from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Give me something from the book of Allah. Or from the sunnah of the Prophet so that I can say it. I don't care how many people are around. I don't care what your position is. I don't care if they're about to lash me again. I don't care about any of that. I cannot say something that does not coincide with the book of Allah or the sunnah of the Prophet. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's my deen. That's my religion. Allah said, his messenger said. Allah said, his messenger said. That's it. SubhanAllah. So the leader of the Muslims, he goes back and he sits down and says, okay, have it your way. He called the Jalad, he called the lashers, come forward. Take your rightful place. We're about to beat you again. You're about to beat you again. Come forward. Tell the, the lashers to come forward. They come forward. Each one of them struck Imam Ahmed two times. There's a whole row of them. They struck Imam Ahmed two times. You know who the Jalad were? You know who the, the people who were lashing? You know who they were? These were kidnapped husbands and fathers. Mu'tasim sent his troops out into the village to go kidnap fathers, take fathers from their homes, take husbands from their wives, take fathers from their children. You come with us. The leader of the Muslims need to speak to you. And they told each and every father, each and every husband, all I need you to do is to strike Imam Ahmed, strike this guy two times, just hit him twice. And then you can go home to your family. You can go home to your wife. You can go home to your children. All you got to do is strike this guy twice. Why did he do that? Because he knew that this inconvenience for these men 
would force them to strike Imam Ahmed, especially if they didn't, they, they weren't, these were just your regular workers, nine to five workers. These weren't scholars. These weren't students of knowledge. These weren't people that had anything to do with anything. These were just fathers, workers, you know, run of the mill Muslims, everyday Muslims that would have been inconvenienced by the leader of the Muslims. And the only way that they can go back to their families and to their children is to hit this guy twice. Just hit him two times. That's it. And then you can go home. So what is that going to do? That is going to make that is going to make them hit him with so much power because they just want to go home. And they're looking at Imam Ahmed as the guy who inconvenienced their lives, who stopped their lives, who took them away from their children, took them away from their families. They strike Imam Ahmed twice, wow, wow, twice as hard as they can, and they can go. Then the next one comes. All I need you to do is hit him twice. Imam Ahmed said, "Fayyadribuni sautain wa yatanaha." And every time they would strike me twice, once, twice. And when they would hit Mu'tasim, the leader of the Muslims, he would say, harder, hit him harder. May Allah cut your hand off. Hit him harder. Imam Ahmed said, I fell unconscious. I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't remember anything. My intellect left me. My mind left me. I, I couldn't even, I didn't know what was happening. The only thing I felt was that the chains were being loosened up on my arms. SubhanAllah. And I was being drugged back into the prison cell. He said, and they came to me, they gave me some water. They said to me, just drink it and then spit it back out. Imam Ahmed said, I'm not going to break my fast. He's fasting. All of this is going on while he's fasting. Faji Abi. So then I was taken from the prison and I was taken into the palace of Ishaq ibn Ibrahim, which was one of the, uh, the, the commanders of the leader of the Muslims, right? Ishaq ibn Ibrahim. I was taken into his palace, right? And it was time for Salatul Dhuhr. Mind you, Imam Ahmed is bleeding. His back is you know, ripped up. He's bleeding. Blood is dripping off of him. And it's time for Salatul Dhuhr. فَتَقَدَّمَا إِبْنُ السَّمَاعَ فَصَلَّ They're still trying to humiliate Ahmed, right? So Imam Ahmed prays with them. He makes wudu, he can barely stand, his back is bleeding. He makes wudu and he prays Salatul Dhuhr with them. After Salatul Dhuhr, they're still trying to find a weak spot. After they finish praying, one of them turns to Imam Ahmed and said, Salate wa dam yasilu fi thawbit. You praying and blood is dripping down you because they thought that blood breaks your wudu. Right? Listen to this. They said, you're going to pray and all of this blood is leaking off of you. You can't pray like that. They're still trying to show, see, he's astray. Right? Remember who used to do that? They they look for the smallest little mistake to say, see, see, we told you he was astray. Look, 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 look what he's doing. Look at him now. 
Look at over here. You see what he's doing over here? Looking out for every flaw, looking for every mistake, just to try to add credence to their initial claim that you are astray, right? And if they truly believe that you were astray, they would not need to pour it on so thick. You would just make your claim and you would keep it moving. You would make your claim and you would keep it moving. You don't need year after year after year looking, searching for this, for that, for that, to add credence to the initial you know, position that you have already taken. You don't need to do that. There's people still waiting for me to make one mistake so that they can validate everything that has been said about me previously. See, I told you all this time they were right because you found one mistake. You found one flaw. You found one error. And so now that, that gives credence to everything that was said previously. So they turned to Imam Ahmed and said, you're going to pray and blood is leaking down your back? How are you going to pray like that? How are you going to pray like that? Blood invalidates your wudu. So Imam Ahmed, he says, فَقُلْتُ وَقَدْ صَلَّ عُمَرَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَنْهُ وَجَرْحُهُ يَثْعَبْ دَمًا So Imam Ahmed, here again, he's a scholar. You're not going to get one over on him, right? Imam Ahmed said, well, didn't Umar pray after he was stabbed and blood was leaking out of him? Umar bin al-Khattab who was stabbed while he was praying Salatul Fajr. So Imam Ahmed makes istishhad. He's using as dalil that blood does not invalidate your wudu. The fact that Umar was stabbed while he was leading the Salat for Salatul Fajr. He never broke his Salat. He didn't leave out of the ring. Umar didn't stop praying until he passed out from the loss of blood. Fayruz, he stabbed Umar with a double-edged dagger on both sides, right? He ran up on, on Umar while he was leading Salatul Fajr. And he just starts shanking Umar, stabbing Umar in his stomach, in his shoulder, in his back, right? Stabbing him while he was in the Salat. Umar is obviously fighting him off. Um, and then he runs out of the masjid after stabbing Umar roughly 11 times. Stabbing. Umar is leaking everywhere. And he continues praying. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Umar is leaking everywhere and he continues making salah until he falls unconscious and he just passes out. And Abdurrahman ibn Awf, he steps forward when Umar passes out and he continues to lead the salah while some of the other sahaba tend to Umar. So Imam Ahmed is saying, well, if I can't pray because blood breaks my wudu, then what about Umar? <laughs> Even in that moment, he's still a scholar. <laughs> even in that moment, he's still a scholar, man. SubhanAllah. They can't even find any wiggle room. <laughs> they can't find anything. They said, you're going to pray like this and blood is leaking down your back? You can't pray like that. Blood, your salat is invalid. Imam Ahmed said, well, then what about Umar who prayed when he was stabbed multiple times and blood was leaking out of him? Get out of here. He's still a scholar at the end of the day. At the end of the day, let me end with this point. Umar he said, Wallahi laqad a'atitu or u'titu al-majhud min nafsi wa lawadittu anni Anju min hadal amr kafafan la aliyya wa lali. Umar, uh, uh, Imam Ahmed rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that I had been given, you know, strength and energy from place that I had no idea 
where it came from. He said, and I would have loved to have escaped this whole situation, nothing on me, nothing against me, nothing for me. Nothing for me, nothing against me. I'm not, I'm not in it to prove a point. I didn't have a point to prove. I didn't want this situation. I just didn't want it to happen. You understand? And that is something that we can use even in our arguments with our spouses. I, I, I wish we would have never even got into the argument to begin with. I didn't want to win. I didn't want to win against you. And I didn't want you to win against me. I don't want anything from the situation. I wish the situation never happened to begin with. And it shows you the sincerity of Imam Ahmed because it wasn't about winning. It wasn't about proving them wrong. It was about defending Islam, defending the Quran. It wasn't about, you know, proving that they were wrong and that they were deviants or they, you know, even Mu'tasim, he forgave Mu'tasim. The only people that he did not forgive was Bishr al-Mirisi, uh, Ibn Abi Du'ad, Ishaq Ibn Ibrahim. He, he forgave the people who were underneath the Mu'tazila, who were promoting and pushing the leader of the Muslims. He forgave the leader of the Muslims for everything that he did. He forgave him. I, I forgave him. Yom al-Qiyamah, I don't want anything with him in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's forgiven because he knew that at the root of that issue was not the leader of the Muslims. It was the people that were behind him. And here again, knowing your real enemies. We talked about that before. Knowing your real enemies. And that you don't go extracting retribution on people who you really understand their situation. You can really see their situation. You, you know that if it wasn't for a certain condition or particular situation, that you would have never had anything with that person. He forgave him because he knew that at the root of that, it wasn't him. It was the people that were behind him. SubhanAllah, that takes real faith. That takes real Iman. That takes real Iman to do that. SubhanAllah, we only wish that you know we have that level of sincerity that that we can garner we can you know we can harness that level of sincerity that i, I wish this situation never happened and i don't want anything from it i, I wish i could just escape this whole situation not any points for me or any points against me i, I don't want anything from this situation you know because to answer for these matters in the hereafter is very serious to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for these matters in the hereafter is very serious. So we'll stop here, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, we'll continue on Wednesday, bi-ithnillah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa salama tasliman kathira. Wa akhiru da'wana anil hamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.